you know, mental health in the black community, I think mental health in general in America is something that is perceived as something that only rich people can afford, AKA a luxury. And it's not a luxury. Like getting your teeth clean or when you're a young person, you need braces, that's a luxury? No, you need it. You need glasses. I started wearing glasses at the age of nine. I was in third grade. I went from being like a minor nerd to a super nerd and then I needed like full on glasses. It's like she's reading three novels a week. Her eyesight is deteriorating in the third grade. Yeah. So it's interesting how, you know, they have the terminology at risk, at risk youth. We heard it a lot during the coronavirus. It's like there were there was an at risk group of people that had different type of rules to follow versus everybody else. So in keeping with the at risk terminology, why is it do you guys think since mental health is something that can offset a lot of risk behavior if you know it's like you prepare these people because you already know they're going to be at risk you give them extra care why don't we see more mental health in the hood in at risk communities in low income neighborhoods because we already we already know that they're going to be dealing with more than the average because they're obviously already at risk it's because they want us to, to to keep mental health as a luxury for white kids to go to see a child psychologist because their parents are getting a divorce oh my god i purposely named this episode sick and tired the sick meaning mentally that's the part of sickness that we're talking about we are mentally burdened down that's why i believe Maybe my mom and my dad didn't have any mental breakdowns, but they're dealing with the same thing. My grandmother never had a breakdown. My great-grandmother, but I'm the fourth or third generation of them in America because my family started in Trinidad and Tobago. But I've been dealing with this or just my generation has been dealing with more. You know, we have knowledge. With knowledge also brings awareness. You can't not know something that you know. So it's hard for us to like as black people go to a job interview knowing they're looking for a white person and they can't say it and they know that it's illegal to say it so you can't even mention it but we know that that's the reality you know they told me when i first graduated it was a recession so that was like one big issue already it was a recession but the few job interviews i would go on in the white community because it was out in long island where i went to school they didn't want people like me you know they didn't want me because it's all client-based work and they don't want to represent white people don't like to see black people at you know what i mean like oh you work she works here that's really what it is they can't say it and it sounds ridiculous when we talk about it like this but that's what it is because how can your skin color the way you look be unprofessional or not fit in like i'm wearing a suit so what's not fitting in you know i struggled this is years ago i know a lot of people are graduating now not much has changed as, as you can see it's something that you should just be aware about And the part that is tiring is that 
I worked really hard. I work very hard, just like a lot of black people in this country, a lot of black students. We work harder than our white counterparts to just go half as far. So on top of that reality, it's also like, well, I'm tired of having to be the best, get 100 on all the classes to still be looked over because of my skin color. That gets tiring. Even though we know we have to do it, I'm going to do it all the time. I show up in a room wherever I go. I represent for all black people if I'm the only one there. That doesn't change, but I'm tired. You know, I'm literally mentally tired of just like stepping. You know, it's just like the space that you just put ourselves in. And like I said, our white counterparts, white males, our friends who are white males, they don't have that. They don't even care. You know, it's like, I remember one time I had a boss and it was, oh, he was the CEO. Well, supposed to be the CEO of where I was working. One of these managers, he was a, a, a higher up, I called them. And Donald Trump had put out that Muslim ban or whatever. And it was just like, they used to travel a lot through Europe and Dubai and all these places. And I'm like, yo, just be careful. Like, cause if you need to be back in New York for a meeting and then they shut down a border, it may cause something for you. And I'm just talking like business, like don't create a problem for me if you can't get back to the United States. And he turned around and said to me, well, Tahira, you know, don't worry about me because, you know, they're not, they're not looking for people like me. I'm like, you're absolutely effing right, you know? And it was just like slapping in the face. Not slapping in the face, but just kind of like shrug, like me trying to be a thoughtful-minded black person, just regular. And I'm like, this is wrong. Like, I can't believe they put a Muslim band looking out for people that I work with. And the white people is like, don't worry about it. That's for black people, not for us. It's tired. It's just tired. When I had my first breakdown in the one I put myself on the 5150 hole, I knew something was wrong. I think it was the first time in maybe since college that I had the feeling of accomplishment. Because even though I accomplished in college, I went to the graduation and, and then for undergrad and then I got the, the master's because of the recession and didn't feel like an accomplishment, didn't feel congr- like an excited period. It felt like down and drooling, like, I'm never going to get a job and it's very depressing. So moving to California was the first time I felt accomplished, like, oh, I did all this on my own. This is something I started to hear Savannah Inc., Fakito the model. We're out here in Hollywood. We went on audition, you know, after I got there and I had the money, I had the time and we we're like setting things up. That was the first time I think I had like free time. You know, I had like I didn't have to work all day, all night. So I was like, you know, I had money. I would just like take days off, like days off just sitting there. And then within the free time, the first couple of months. I started going back to that, all the down stuff that I never got to even process when I was focused, focused on getting into L.A. And that being out there, kind of feeling like a champion, successful I guess it played with my mind and it's like, you know, you're successful, but you're still on that path of like your school loans, not finding a job after college. You know, it didn't help that it took me. I mean, I didn't really struggle to get a job in L.A. I can't lie and say that, but it definitely was that same kind of space, though. You know, I guess like Frankie was there. We weren't really like together. Yeah, our relationship wasn't like so super intact. We were still finding our grounding in L.A. We're still new to a town. So it's like just dealing with just that frustration and. But all the while, I'm still feeling like, damn, like, yes, I came all the way over here, but now what? You know, it's always like the now what, the now what, the now what? And I started having, like, anxiety as the time went on from, like, May to August. Money started running out because we're not putting money into the bank, obviously. And we're just paying our rent and hanging out and going to pool parties and mingling and trying to meet all these celebrities as fast as we can just to, like, move up. It costs money to mingle. It costs money to be in L.A. and on clubs and the pool parties. 
So anxiety came in first, you know, it was just like anxious, like, okay, now I don't have a safety nest. I don't have my aunt's house. I don't have family members. It's really just me and you. So what are we going to do? You know, we had that whole conversation of like relationship, made the decision to get married and all that stuff. And yeah, I just, well, the day I had the actual breakdown, it was also heat exhaustion. Like, you know, I wasn't listening. Like I was outside, it was 110 and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And they're like, get off the sun. <laughs> have so much anxiety that you you tip yourself over you know over the line and then you're just stuck in this space now now you like know that there's something wrong that's when I knew I'm like damn I need help now like you know I've been stuck now I can't get back on to the normal side of this mental thing you know I'm like I need a shot of something or like drugs or like I don't know put me in a hole or I don't know I knew I needed help at that moment you know because it was something I never experienced before and I'm just smart in that way to just be like I need a doctor. I need a professional. Like, you know, don't try to just self-help in this space. Um, I had never been to therapy before, though. So my conversation goes back to the beginning of the podcast when I'm saying, you know, since I grew up in an at-risk kind of environment, had I had the tools, maybe I would have never had an anxiety breakdown. We need more tools. 